Casinos in Space by Howard Berenbaum. Copyright 2019 by Howard Berenbaum slash CyberTimes LLC. All rights reserved. This book is dedicated to the memory of my dear friend, Bruce, who died way too soon. Casinos in Space is a novel about a group of scientists who travel with their wives on a starship to a distant planet for gambling and relaxation. While on the ship, they spend their time in a replica of the Las Vegas Strip for gambling and eat at Las Vegas-style buffets and fine restaurants. Paul Erickson, one of the members, reluctantly goes on the vacation because he is grieving the death of his brother from brain cancer. Right from the start, Paul was acting erratic and his friends were concerned. And to their surprise, Paul went missing, nowhere to be found. Chapter 1 Charter Flight The year was 2032. By 2020, faster-than-light space travel had been perfected by the military, and in just the past few years, certain wealthy civilians had the opportunity to escape the gravity of Earth and travel on a deep space liner to hundreds of known habitable planets. With the help of the military, a new technology for fast space travel between the stars was added to the first non-military spacecraft of its kind, called the Las Vegas, named after the great gambling capital of the United States. The Starship offered an ocean liner-style adventure, with hotels and casinos patterned after the Las Vegas Strip. Its itinerary included one or two stops before arriving at the final gambling destination on Vega 1 orbiting Vega in the constellation Lyra, and one of the first known habitable planets discovered with NASA's Kepler Orbiting Telescope in late 2017. This telescope was specially designed to detect the periodic dimming of stars caused by transiting planets. Some star systems are oriented in such a way that their planets cross in front of their stars, as seen from our earthly point of view. As the planets transit, they cause the star's light to slightly dim or wink. The telescope can register changes in brightness of only 20 parts per million. If pointed at a city on Earth, the Kepler sensors can detect the dimming of a porch light. Actually, deep space travel had been possible since the year 2025. It was a group of Michigan scientists who invented the technology for traveling light years from Earth based on advanced string theory using the TSTAR space drive to move an object great distances very quickly, essentially breaching the speed of light. It was first named the space drive, but had to be changed because of the highly classified nature of the drive's technology. Any hint at the drive's capability, beyond its current use, had to be protected for security reasons. By the year 2029, with certain government restrictions and supervision, it was possible to use the new TSTAR drive for private use in the Starship Las Vegas. It was their first time on the Las Vegas for this group of six. Barry Cohen and Elena Romanoff knew that it was going to be the ultimate in vacations, even better than their honeymoon in Hawaii. They convinced two other couples to join them without much coaxing since the trip was complimentary not to mention that they would be able to gamble between star systems on a luxurious starship. Are you guys ready? Barry asked as their jetliner prepared for final approach to the Cape Canaveral Airport in Florida. You know, we're so close to Disney World, you may want to change your mind. He directed the remark to Paul Erickson, knowing that he might be able to stir him up a bit. Paul was the nervous type. Now, Barry, I agreed to go and I'm here. Paul said in his defense, 
while moving his body forward to meet Barry eye to eye. His head, within inches of Barry, revealed an oval face marked by a square chin, black curly hair, dark and bushy eyebrows, and a small nose just barely capable of supporting his gold-rimmed eyeglasses. Just checking, Paul, Barry said, then glancing over at Mark Simonson with a big grin. Because once we're up in the Las Vegas, you won't be able to change your mind. Mark looked up and returned the grin. His hair was light brown and thinning, with some strands dangling over the top of his gold wire-rimmed eyeglasses. As he smiled, he brushed his hair back in place. We decided to go and we're going, Jane Erickson said nodding to Paul. Isn't that right, dear? Jane had long thick black hair down to her shoulders with a hint of gray streaks. Yes, honey. I am very enthusiastic about our group trip. And I might add that I look forward this opportunity to explore a distant planet or two. However, his expression was void of enthusiasm. That's the spirit, Mark said. I am surprised. Surprised at you, Barry, Jane said. We're all going, and we're all going to have a great time. Enough said. The passenger jet was approaching the gate, and people were readying their hand luggage for boarding. It was just a joke, Barry said. I'm sorry, Paul. Hope you weren't offended? Barry had thick light brown hair and a medium build. He seemed to be in a good mood most of the time, and usually had a smile on his face or sometimes it was a grin. That was a quality everyone liked. I accept your apology, Paul returned. I can take a joke or two, and I was not offended. Just then, the flight attendant announced, Passengers, the aircraft is at the gate and disembarking. We will commence in a few minutes. Everyone was quiet as they moved along on the walkway to an area where their luggage and a limousine awaited them. In less than an hour, they would be leaving the earth behind. They were all looking forward to this vacation. It had been many years since their families planned a long getaway. Even though Mark, Barry and Paul were engineering college professors at a prestigious university in the Detroit area, they were partners in a side business called the Hollow Exchange. Their outside work filled many evening hours during the year and all available time during the summer months. They manufactured history-related holographic movies for independent history classes they sponsored off-campus, approved for university credit. Unfortunately, their successful business kept them from taking time off for traveling. So, after ten years of a self-imposed moratorium on vacations, they decided that enough was enough and took the summer off. They chose a very special and unusual destination, with a mode of transportation just as special and unusual. Barry was glad to get away, even though this trip would take them light years from Earth. It was a much-needed rest from work with a full month of just leisure activities, and no limit on food and drinks. His favorite food was lobster, and his drink of choice was a chocolate Coke, though at times he enjoyed a cold light beer with a burger. The Las Vegas would take one week to reach the vegan system, where three Earth-like planets awaited their arrival, each with its own exotic and unique environment. Once there, they planned five days on each planet. The civilian shuttle terminal was only a ten-minute jaunt from the airport, so they were there before anyone had time to talk of turning back and spending their free month on Earth at Walt Disney World. But it was time to make a break from normal and soar to a very different place far away from home. 
So, Walt Disney World could wait until next year. The shuttle, one of 30 in the line, was filled to its 500-passenger capacity for a quick blast-off to the Las Vegas. Every month, several shuttles would deliver passengers to the returning starship, while transporting those back to Earth, heading home from one unusual vacation. It was amazing that each passenger paid $100,000 for a potentially dangerous experience. However to date, the trips had been incident-free. The shuttle liftoff was amazing. It was the most exhilarating feeling anyone could experience, maybe with the exception of seeing the birth of one's child. As they left the Earth, the feeling of steadily increasing acceleration, plus the increase in body weight due to the G-forces involved, was something they would never forget. Once the ship reached, or reached orbit, their weightlessness erased the memory of momentary pain of being pushed and pulled in a struggle to be freed from their earthly bonds. After the 15-minute climb from Cape Canaveral, and another 10 minutes to establish a course to Earth Station 10, the passengers could see the cigar-shaped star liner, the Las Vegas, docked at one of 12 spokes of the slowly rotating space station. Viewed from the shuttle, the Las Vegas was not an impressive sight. It just looked like a long cylinder, or more like an orbiting cigar than a starship, approximately a mile long and one-quarter mile in diameter. Its outer appearance was misleading, because within that metal hull was a beautifully engineered machine with a working replica of the Las Vegas Strip. It offered comfortable accommodations for nearly 20,000 vacationers and 7,000 employees and crew members. The Las Vegas had 10 hotels, a mix of ornate and modern each, with a themed casino on the main floor. The rooms were in mini skyscrapers with windows that offered a spectacular view of space through a clear fiberglass dome and the strip below. Although dinner was traditionally planned with the crew and other passengers in an assigned dining room, alternative dining was available at over 52 restaurants and pubs on the strip. No one was more impressed than Barry after his group entered the starship through the aft hatch. LED and neon lights, reminiscent of the 20th century city of Las Vegas, flashed warm greetings to the 21st century travelers. An actual welcome aboard sign illuminated the entrance to the monorail system, a fast and efficient transportation service that would take their party one half mile into the ship to the Mirage Hotel and Casino, where Barry and his friends made their reservations some six months before. This is very nice, Paul said as they headed to the monorail platform. If I didn't know that I was on a starship, I'd say I was back on Earth, maybe at Disney World. They even have artificial gravity, Barry said sounding somewhat annoyed. And it feels surprisingly Earth-like. But I'd prefer being weightless. In fact, I was just getting used to being weightless on the shuttle, and I kind of liked it. I guess I'm sort of disappointed. Lose some weight, then, Barry, Mark said with a smirk. Don't eat, and you'll feel lighter. Ha, ha, very funny, Barry replied. But seriously, Mark added. Being weightless may feel good, but it can cause lots of problems. For one thing, long-term weightlessness is bad for a body. Muscles don't work right, not to mention it is bad for digestion. Some of us need a little gravity to push things through. He paused to take a deep breath, and then said with a smile, also, it is bad for gambling. Chips and cards would be floating everywhere. Okay, okay, I see your point, Barry said. It was just a thought. You're excused, Mark said with a smirk.
Suddenly they heard a hissing sound coming from the monorail entrance and turned to see a long black vehicle pulling up to the gate. Its doors automatically opened and an artificial voice said, All aboard. Please enter monorail car now and watch your step. For safety, take small children by the hand and be seated. Those standing, please stay clear of the automatic doors. Then it repeated its message in Spanish. Let's go, Paul said as he directed Jane and the others through the doorway. As quickly as they entered, they found seats and then heard the voice say, Those seated, please buckle your seat belts. Those standing, you will need to hold on tight. After a short pause, the car started moving. Well, we're on our way, and with a sense of humor, Barry said as the car moved out of the aft station and started its climb to the second level and then accelerated to a fast pace. Pace. From their vantage point, the brightly illuminated skyline was in full view. Just as suddenly as they accelerated, the car slowed, plunged downward through a dark tunnel, and then accelerated up again entering into the lobby of the first hotel on the strip. It was the Dunes Hotel and Casino. On Earth, the Las Vegas Dunes was known as the Jewel of the Desert. It held that title through the early 1990s, when it was forced to close due to financial difficulties. It is very beautiful, Elena said as she shifted her position, straining to look around. She was very attractive, in her early thirties, with light brown hair almost to her shoulders. Her red lipstick complemented her deep blue eyes. Just wait, Elena, Barry said. This hotel is no comparison to the Mirage. It really doesn't matter to me, Susan Simonson said. As long as there's a bed to rest my tired bones and a bath to rest the rest, I'm happy. Susan was tall, with dark hair and very slim. She was holding Mark's hand and liked to express her affection in public. Mark didn't mind. He was the same way. That was very poetic, honey, Mark said. I like that. Well, thanks for the compliment, dear. The car had only been motionless for a few seconds when the computerized voice said, Passengers who have reservations at the Dunes Hotel and Casino, please exit. Doors will be opening in one minute. Several passengers got up to leave. When the doors opened, they could hear the familiar casino sounds. Slot machines were announcing their payoff with the sound of coins clanging on the metal tray. They could hear people talking and laughing and some shouting from high-stake players winning at craps. Martin Landry, an unsuspicious, thinly built short man was carrying a black briefcase as he exited the car with several other vacationers eager to check in and get to the gambling tables. However, instead of heading to the check-in desk, Martin fo followed a pathway near the monorail tracks leading south to the aft of the Las Vegas. After a brisk five-minute walk, he found his way down a darkened staircase and entered into a corridor below the monorail station. He looked as if he was lost until he pulled out a map of the ship and then wandered away into the darkness with briefcase tightly gripped in hand looking as if he was on a mission. I can't wait to get out there and gamble, Barry said. It brings back memories of the real Las Vegas. He was looking at some of the slot machines that were in the hotel lobby. I was not with you during those times, Elena said. But I wish I had been. By the time we met, Barry said, we stopped finding time to visit the gambling capital of the world, and I did miss the trip and the buffets. But it doesn't matter, 
we'll make up for lost time and money on this trip. I thought you always broke even in Las Vegas? Mark asked with a smile. You mean you left some of your money in those casinos? Oh, you know, Mark. You, Paul, and Ben Harrison were with us. It's hard to say because I've never tracked it that closely. But if I lost, it was never too much. Barry had a faraway look on his face. But whatever we lost, we're going to make it up here. I'm sure I'll be practicing safe gambling, Susan added. That is, until I'm ahead and playing with the casino's money. I'm a tough blackjack player when I'm ahead. Sounds like a good technique to me, Barry answered. The car started moving after the dunes patrons exited. Then, just before it started down the steep incline to level one, the computer announced, please fasten seat belts. Thank you. In less than a minute, the car stopped in the lobby of the Flamingo Hilton. Phew, what a ride, Mark said. I wasn't ready for that roller coaster feeling. It sure, sure surprised me, Barry said. Luckily, our hotel is next. I didn't know we were taking Paul's side trip to Disney World. It felt like we were in the Pirates of the Caribbean, one of my all-time favorite rides, you know. Could it be that you'd rather be at Disney World? Paul asked sarcastically. Why don't we take up a collection with our winnings and send him there? Okay, maybe you're right, Barry replied. And I'll take you up on that collection, but only if I lose and you win. No one got off at the Hilton, so the car moved swiftly to the Mirage Hotel and Casino, the final stop for Barry and his friends. As they passed between hotels, the sky began its daily gradual dimming to simulate the approaching darkness of night. The lights of the nearby hotels glowed the colorful brightness that so characterized Earth's Las Vegas. Well, we made it, Barry said happily as the car came to a complete stop and announced the hotel. Elena, I'm ready to go to the tables, are you? Yes, we will have the hops take our bags to our room, she replied. Don't you mean bellhop? Mark asked with a laugh. Ah, uh, oh, yes. You are correct, Mark, Elena said, blushing. I did mean bellhop. What was I thinking? As they exited the monorail, Paul said, it must be around 6 p.m. Did you notice that it's getting dark? Six o'clock and it's getting dark, Mark said. Anyone starved, or is it just me? Well, we've been traveling half the day, Paul said. It's bound to get dark in a ship that claims to simulate Earth. Anyone hear me? Mark asked. I'm hungry. Okay, Barry said. I'm willing to get a bite before we start gambling. Let's check out the buffet. The lobby was magnificent. It was a small-scale rainforest with lush vegetation. A waterfall, opposite the main desk, sprayed a fine mist as it emptied into a blue-green pool below. The water poured from the side of a simulated mountain over 100 feet above the open-air lobby. The sim simulated sky was turning a bright crimson as the light slowly faded. Pinpoints of starlight were peeking through the clear dome. There's a sign we should follow, Paul said pointing past the waterfall. Restaurants are on the next level. Let's take the escalator. As they reached level three, they could see the simulated desert area of the Mirage. In the distance, the Luxor Casino was in view, the biggest and most impressive structure on the ship. 
A moving sidewalk led tourists from the mirage into a simulated desert and passed a realistic replica of the Sphinx of Giza, a man's head on the body of a lion. Then it continued into the center of a full-size replica of an ancient Egyptian pyramid. I'm impressed, Susan said. Let's go right to the casino after we eat. First, let's find that buffet, Barry said. Level 3 had a variety of restaurants, with several offering buffets. Now how do we do this? Paul asked. Food is free, isn't it? Yes, Barry said. Our package includes all you can eat and drink, including alcohol. You just have to show this food pass as you enter. The dinner buffet had a great number of choices with hot and cold foods, all types of meats and poultry, and even a variety of fish. For those with a sweet tooth, a separate dessert bar had every dessert under the sun. They spent a good hour eating and talking, reminiscing about the shuttle flight, planning their gambling strategies, and speculating about the weather and beaches in the vegan system. At one point, Paul, a bit homesick, tried to direct the conversation away from the Las Vegas. He remembered some work he had left unfinished, and was irritated that he had forgotten to complete it. Paul, forget it, Barry said. Work will be billions of miles and a month away from us, so let's rest. It can wait. But, but, Paul said and then paused. Okay, you're right. I'm here to, to have fun and not work. Great, Mark said. Now that the problem is resolved, let's check out our rooms and then head for the casino. Okay, Paul said. They retraced their steps and easily found their way back to the lobby. Dusk had turned to night, and the real stars, like tiny lamps penetrating the clear plexiglass upper dome, beamed through with a steady glow. Registration went smoothly with all six recorded as guests. They were escorted to the tenth floor where three adjoining rooms had been on reserve. When they entered, their suitcases had already arrived, and their clothes had been unpacked and placed into dresser drawers. They wasted no time, resting only minutes, and then met in the hallway to plan their gambling strategy for the evening. Paul was fidgeting, obviously nervous, but no one commented. It was best to leave him alone. It would pass. They headed to the elevator and everyone got in, that is, everyone except Paul. Jane noticed Paul's absence and said, Where's Paul? He must have gone back to the room, Barry said. He was out in the hallway a few minutes ago. Don't worry, Jane. I'm sure he'll join us downstairs. So, let's go. Paul can take care of himself. I imagine you're right, Jane said. Okay, let's get this car downstairs. I'm raring to go. The elevator swiftly deposited the five travelers at the lobby level, and they waited patiently for Paul to join them. But they had a long wait. Paul did go back to the room because he had forgotten his camera. When he opened the door with his key card, he felt as if someone was with him. But he couldn't see anyone, so he ignored, ignored the feeling. After finding his camera, the feeling surfaced again, but he knew logically that he was alone, so he ignored it. Just as he was about to walk toward the door, he heard someone say, Howdy partner. Oh no, Paul said. Am I starting to hear things again? No, no, it can't be. He heard the voice again saying, Howdy partner. Then, after a short pause, it said, 
Are you deaf or something? Can't you hear me? Who's there? Paul asked nervously. What do you want? He could feel panic starting to set in, but he caught himself. I shouldn't overreact, he mumbled to himself. He didn't want to undo what years of therapy had accomplished. He was a much calmer person now, and he wanted to keep it that way. It took two full years for Paul to get over the death of his younger brother Daniel, who died unexpectedly from a brain tumor at the age of 49. It was a horrible two and a half years for Daniel Erickson, family, and friends who watched him deteriorate from an incurable form of brain cancer. Suddenly, before Paul's eyes, a man appeared in front of him. Howdy. I'm Slim Brody. He waved with his right hand, and in his left he was pointing a small pistol at Paul. Hey, partner, don't be afraid. I won't shoot. That is, unless you don't cooperate. Slim was wearing a wide-brimmed cowboy hat that covered most of his gray hair. He dressed in jeans, which were visibly worn, but not ragged. He looked like he was from another era. By now, Paul managed to calm himself and said, Uh, uh, don't worry, I respect guns. What do you want, my money? Slim's age-worn wrinkled face wrinkled more, and then he said, No, partner, we're going to make you some money. It had been fifteen minutes since Barry and the others went down to the lobby. Where is he? Jane asked. She was losing her patience. This is not like Paul. You're right, Barry said. I'm going up to the room to see what the problem is. Mark, you want to join me? Sure. Let's go. As Mark and Barry entered Paul's room, Paul and his new friend, friend, Slim, were on their way to the Luxor Casino through the simulated desert on the moving walkway. Paul was shivering as they entered the casino. It is cold out there, he said, rubbing his arms to warm them. Doesn't bother me, Slim said. Well, there must be something wrong with the heating system. I'm going to report it. Don't bother, son, Slim replied. It's perfectly normal. What's the matter? Haven't you been in a desert at night? Well, uh, no, not lately. He was thinking back to his trip to Egypt several years ago, and couldn't remember the weather. Take my word for it, Slim said. Next time, bring a jacket. Paul reluctantly followed Slim through the crowded casino. It was beautifully decorated in an Egyptian theme. He found blackjack tables built around chariots with dealers dressed as Egyptian soldiers. Roulette, poker and craps were plentiful, but so were a few table games that he was not familiar with. As in most of the casinos, there were scantily clad cocktail waitresses carrying drinks for the players. After passing several rows of three-dimensional poker machines, they stopped at one sparsely occupied craps table. Paul started getting nervous at the thought of losing money. Ah, uh, Slim, Paul said. You don't mean to say that we're going to be playing at this craps table, do you? Why sure, boy, Slim answered. Now, you're not afraid of losing a little of your own loot, are you? Paul lied saying, oh no, I'm not worried. Good. Cause we're going to make us some real money. Now get some cash out, say $300, and let's go to work. Paul tried not to react, and put down $300 worth of $50 bills on the table. Ask for $25 chips, Slim ordered.
A fat woman, now rolling the dice, was trying to make the point, which was ten. Quick, boy, put two chips down on ten the hard way, Slim said, pointing at the middle of the table. Table. Paul obeyed. And put four chips on the field, in front of you. The fat woman threw the dice, and they bounded along the sides, and into the center of the table. She rolled snake eyes. Slim laughed with glee. The dealer announced, for the hard way. Paul received $200 in chips for his field bet. Remove your field bets, Slim ordered. Then the fat woman threw the dice again. This time she made the point, throwing a six and a four, and the game was over. Paul lost the two chips placed on ten the hard way, but was paid $100 for his field bet. I can't believe it, he said happily. I'm ahead $250. Quick, son, Slim said, put $350 in the field. Paul did what he said. It was remarkable. The fat woman rolled 12, and Paul was paid again. We're $900 ahead, Paul said. And we've only been playing for five minutes. I am amazed. Stick with me, boy, and you'll go far, Slim said. But take your chips and let's go. Your friends are will worry. Paul didn't want to leave, but Slim was right. As they approached the lobby, Jane spotted Paul first and ran toward him. Paul. Where have you been? I was worried. We didn't know what to think. I was with my friend, Slim, and we won $900. He pulled out the $100 bills and waved them. But it was too late for introductions because Slim disappeared into thin air. I don't know who you're talking about, honey, she said. He's here right next to me, Jane, Paul replied. I don't see anyone, Paul. Are you okay? Paul looked bewildered. I said, are you okay? Jane repeated. Where did he go? Paul mumbled. I'll be close by, Slim said, sounding some distance away. But you better watch yourself, son. His voice was fading. Or you could be with me, forever. Jane, did you hear that? Paul asked. Yes, you said you won $900. That's great. He looked, looked around, but couldn't find a trace of his friend. Yep, I won a lot. Sorry I worried you, dear.